You're listening to Backchat. I'm Natasha, editor of the podcast. This week, I will be chatting to Backbench editor Ali Goldman and writer Maheen Barana about a country that has gained a lot of unwanted international attention over the past few weeks, Saudi Arabia. We will be discussing the Saudi war in Yemen, the murder of Washington Post journalist Jamal Khashoggi, and Saudi Arabia's broader place in Middle Eastern politics. But first, a bit of context. Saudi Arabia has caused controversy in recent years due to its brutal war in Yemen. In 2015, Saudi Arabia launched a full-scale military campaign against the Houthis, an ethnic group who had taken over the Yemeni government by force and removed the president. Saudi Arabia used military force because it believed that Houthi rebels were being supported by Iran, a fierce enemy of the Saudi regime. The effects of the war have been devastating. Yemen has been turned into a wasteland. At least 10,000 civilians have died, 14 million people are facing starvation, and disease is rampant. The United Nations has described it as the world's worst humanitarian crisis. But the conflict in Yemen is not just a proxy war between Saudi Arabia and Iran. Britain and America have also got involved, the latter providing military intelligence and logistical support to Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia is a key strategic ally for the United States, a status that has been reinforced with Donald Trump's election as president. As Trump has ramped up hostilities with Iran, not least through America's withdrawal from the Iran nuclear deal, the White House has cozied up to Saudi Arabia. A key player in this relationship is Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner, who leads the development of the White House's Middle East strategy. Kushner has forged close ties with Saudi ruler Mohammed bin Salman, even chatting with him over WhatsApp. Last year, Kushner also helped to negotiate a $110 billion arms deal with the Crown Prince. It was a tremendous day. I just want to thank everybody, but tremendous investments into the United States and our military uh, community is very happy and we want to thank you and Saudi Arabia. The supply of arms to Saudi Arabia has also been a point of anger in the UK. Since 2013, Britain has sold bombs and missiles to Saudi Arabia worth hundreds of millions of pounds. As a result, the United Nations has said that the Saudi-led coalition bears much of the responsibility for the wreckage of the war in Yemen. This is an issue that has particularly animated Labour leader Jeremy Corbyn, who said this during his keynote speech to the Labour Party conference in 2016. So today I make it clear that under a Labour government, when there are credible reports of human rights abuses or war crimes being committed, British arms sales will be suspended, starting with Saudi Arabia. However, it would be unfair for either side in the conflict to claim the moral high ground. The UN has said that Houthi rebels may have committed war crimes after being accused of shelling civilians, torturing detainees and recruiting young children to fight. Despite this, there is growing international consensus that Saudi Arabia is the aggressor and must not be facilitated by foreign governments. This perception has intensified in recent weeks after the death of Jamal Hasoji, a Saudi journalist who worked as a columnist at the Washington Post. 
Hassoji entered the Saudi Arabian consulate in Istanbul on the 2nd of October, but never left. He was a critic of the Saudi regime, though not a particularly fierce one. His alleged murder has shocked the Western world. In response, the Trump administration has taken the unprecedented step of calling for an end to the war in Yemen, urging peace talks within the next month. Kushner was also dragged onto national television to share his thoughts. What kind of advice would you give an MBS in this whole situation? Uh, just to be transparent, to be fully transparent. The, the world is watching. This uh, is a very, very serious uh, accusation uh, and a very serious situation. And to, to make sure you're, you're transparent and, to, um, and to, to take this very seriously. But is this merely rhetoric from an administration that's trying to avoid a PR disaster? Only time will tell whether Trump is willing to lose an ally to stop a war. Here now with more news, debate and opinion. Hey guys, welcome to Back Chat. Hi. Hey. So, Maheen, you recently wrote an article for Backbench titled, It's Not Me, It's You. Time to Bring an End to the UK-Saudi Relationship. Could you summarise your argument for listeners? So, I have quite strong views on the UK-Saudi relationship. I've continually felt that the UK has, has been complicit in a lot of um, atrocities perpetrated by Saudi Arabia and... I particularly was responding to the recent murder of of Jamal Khashoggi, and I considered that, you know, the the murder in the light of everything that has happened in relation to Saudi Arabia is not really well. The way that Britain has responded to it to say, oh, you know, this is a bad thing. You know, it's nothing new. Britain responds like that every time to Saudi Arabia. But what did they do? They they continue to. They continue to facilitate that arms trade with Saudi Arabia. They continue to, you know, not really sanction Saudi Arabia. They are completely pro-Saudi in the war on uh, on the Yemen. And I feel that, you know, ultimately the UK is doing nothing to stand up to the horrors that Saudi, that Saudi Arabia is perpetrating. And it's not just being a bystander, but it's also perpetrating those evils too. You know, UK-made cluster bombs have been illegal cluster bombs have been found in the Yemen. And I think, you know, it's a sign that we have turned into a monster too. So it's also an action speak louder than words situation. Mm, definitely that. But it's also it's also that, you know, it's very difficult to reconcile the fact that I think in the UK that we have, you know, good, fairly good human rights for most people, are definitely relative to Saudi Arabia. And the UK would never condone you know, public executions, things like that. There, you know, Saudi Arabia's already executed four, 48 people in the first four months of this year. And I, I just feel that, why are we being friends with a country that, that does things to its own citizens, to its own people, that we just simply would be unthinkable to do in our own? And Ali, do you agree with this view? Well, actually, I disagree that the UK should end this relationship with Saudi Arabia because we shouldn't be punishing the entire Saudi government and the country for the acts of a select few at the top of the food chain. So, I mean, King Salman and Mohammed bin uh, Salman, the crown prince, and a few others. Uh, but the relationship between our two countries comes out of the British support for Ibn Saud against uh, Ibn Rashid 
but now allowed him to be crowned King Abdulaziz. And so for a century, our countries have been strategic allies. And I think their relationship is going to remain forever. And so I think in this situation with uh, Khashoggi, uh, dialogue is the most important tool. We shouldn't be seeking to sever ties and issue sanctions. I think we should be sol aiming to solve the Saudi human rights abusers through meaningful diplomatic means. I disagree with that uh, view. As you say, we're strategic allies. But at the same time, I think Britain knows that we will hurt more from ending the trading relationship. And that is why they are pandering to Saudi Arabia. But, you know, currently we are on the wrong side of history. You don't stick around with somebody just because if they keep doing bad things, you wouldn't just hang around with a person who kept on doing terrible, terrible things. I mean, it doesn't make logical sense. You wouldn't do it in your personal life. I don't think countries should do it in the way that they operate. Diplomacy is one thing. I think we are being diplomatic in the way we speak to Saudi Arabia to an extent, but sometimes diplomacy is just another word for coward for cowardice. And currently, I think we are behaving in a cowardly way. So you believe we should intervene militarily in Saudi Arabia, just like we did in Afghanistan, no. just like we did in Iraq? Like it, that totally worked out just fine in terms no, of democracy. No, I, I believe that we should end our uh, arms trade in Saudi Arabia. Right. So in terms of economic sanctions to ourselves, because you're talking about punishing the entire Saudi government and the people over what? Over uh, something that was perpetrated by a select few. So we're talking about the historic relationship between two large powers in the world. Saudi Arabia, quite frankly, is a regional power and is the foothold of the UK in the Middle East. But I, I, I just don't buy this argument. I understand that, um, you know, obviously we are economically punishing ourselves to, you know, cease the arms trade with Saudi Arabia. But A, I, I mean, just from a moral perspective, I feel like the arms trade is very wrong. But B, as I, as I write in my article, we only give countries power by investing that power in them when we can carry on with our arms trade. And, and as you can see, other countries are, are beginning to cease from this arms trade. When we carry on with our arms trade, we continue to invest that power in Saudi Arabia. You know, if no one, you, if people did, if the world turned their backs on Saudi Arabia, it just wouldn't have the power that it currently does. The world has been pandering to it because of its, you know, economic status. And, you know, as you say, it's, it's such a powerful country. But it's it's time to stop. We we are, we don't need to give Saudi Arabia that power anymore. And I don't think it's a question of punishing the entire Saudi government. It is showing our disapproval for the regime, showing our disapproval for for not just military wrongs they perpetrate, but also the way that their ideology sometimes affects the human rights of people in that country. I think it's interesting that in response to the murder, Angela Merkel and Justin Trudeau announced that both the German and Canadian governments would not approve new arm exports to the kingdom. And so I'm just interested in your views, and we've covered this a little bit, but why the UK has not done the same. Um, because even if we have this special relationship, a recent YouGov survey found that over 60% of the British public opposed the arms sales to Saudi Arabia. I, I, I personally think that it's a very good question. I mean, it's sad that we're not the ones leading this to be honest um we should be the ones setting the right example but as we're not we must follow the precedent of you know other other countries who are turning their backs on something which is morally wrong but ali you clearly disagree why do you think that the uk hasn't followed um in the footsteps of germany and canada 
Well, obviously our defense firms are making huge profits from these weapon deals. And I know BAE Systems have secured a few multi-billion pound contracts recently. Uh, and overall, a significant portion of our arms trades do go to Saudi Arabia, who are our biggest buyer. But we can't just simply end our sales to the kingdom because of the benefits we receive. We don't have anything particularly unique to offer. And the Saudis are just going to simply go to another nation and get a contract with the United States states with spain with germany if uh, if they manage to flatten things out with the new leadership after merkel but any nation is going to willingly accept a handsome stack of banknotes but i do agree partly that this can't be a unilateral decision it has to be multilateral we have to come together with several countries with the united states with israel with russia with china and we have to all say okay, Saudi Arabia should not be committing these human rights abuses, so we're all going to act upon it. All, and we can do that diplomatically, and that should be the route here, not through I, economic sanctions. I, I would agree, and I think it should already have happened, and I, that is why I think it is happening in a more individual kind of way. And we, we're getting to the stage now where individual countries' consciences are waking up, and if, if a few countries start moving away, there can be some sort of consortium where there is a sort of understanding that we need to start placing sanctions on Saudi Arabia. It's wrong for the world to be kowtowing to this kind to this country simply because of its power. So we're also discussing a crucial foreign policy problem here. It's the question of, of where do governments draw the line when cooperating with other nations, particularly when these other countries have different attitudes to democracy and human rights. Uh, whilst we do have our own values in this country, I don't think it's our place to dictate the values of other countries. To order one of the most extreme Islamic countries that will simply sever diplomatic relations until they conform to our culture, that's a preposterous idea. Not to mention the fact that the death penalty is ingrained in Islamic doctrine, and nearly all countries with a Muslim-majority population have the death penalty in their laws. So it would be simply reckless for the UK to outright refuse to cooperate with these countries just because they don't follow our values down to a T. So if you want to think back to 2003, where we toppled the Iraqi government under the pretense of delivering democracy to a nation that was simply unfamiliar with the idea, what was the result? Widespread corruption and next to no government accountability. But as I mentioned before, we should be focusing on dialogue. We should be working not unilaterally, but multilaterally on the issue. So I, I do I do agree with that in part. I, I do agree that dialogue is very important, but I think there's a slight blurring of the lines when you try and differentiate between what is culture and then what is beyond the pale. You talk about the widespread corruption in Iraq that resulted from the British invasion, but you know there's widespread culture, uh, corruption in Saudi Arabia now. I definitely think that there shouldn't be any more British interventions, but in terms of military, in military terms. But the thing about Saudi Arabia is it's a country that should know better in a way. And we've invested it with a lot of power. We put it on a pedestal. And I think that the, the, the way things stand currently is that Saudi Arabia is not simply just culturally different. It is perpetrating human rights abuses. There are rights inequalities. Um, there are obviously gender inequalities in the country, and those can't just be simply attributed to culture conveniently so that we can, you know, skirt the issue of the fact that, that we are, you know, being too friendly with somebody who is not nice. <laughs> if you really want diplomacy, we need to start taking a harsher line on Saudi Arabia. 
So then they should be taking a harsher line on us, given all the uh, politics we've been interfering in, international affairs across the world. But they don't do that. The fact of the matter is, they're a different culture, yes. But we need to be understanding that for decades and centuries this has been going on. And we can't just expect them one day, slap on some sanctions, slap on some punishments and say, okay, now you have to conform to our idea and become a colon another British colony, become our British colony, and then uh, expect them to pass through all the reforms. Because at the moment, uh, MBS just comes out and says, you know what, okay, women, they can drive now, and everyone cheers. But that's not that's not the way it should be done. As Khashoggi actually wrote in one of his articles, the government needs to, to change. It needs to have more focus on the parliament. But you can't just expect all these reforms to happen overnight. And by slapping on these sanctions, they can have long-term effects. And that's gonna. That's why I believe that diplomatic uh, talks should be happening, because then that's a long-term effort to shape the country as a whole for good. No, it's not just the British government which has ties with the Saudi Arabian-led coalition in Yemen. A Telegraph investigation last year revealed that universities in the UK, including Oxbridge, Durham and Exeter, had been accepting endowments from dictatorships with arguably poor human rights records. For instance, in 2016, Oxford accepted £3 million from the Qatar Development Fund to finance their Thatcher scholarships. What are your views on this, particularly in the context of cuts to higher education? The reason we see nations like Saudi Arabia, Qatar and the UAE funding not only universities in the UK, but all across the West, because they desire a platform of intellects to preach to. In doing so, they can show a completely different side to the country, one that is innovative, one full of opportunity. So think of it like a news network like CNN that was founded by Ted Turner. And so originally it fueled Ted Turner's agenda. Uh, like Fox News, it carries out Murdoch's agenda. So Saudi Arabia seeks to influence our universities and its students, and it does so particularly by tuning Middle Eastern studies to the concerns of Muslim rulers. So in essence, it's a bribe. There's no other way to put it. They're bribing universities to show the good side of them. I would agree with that, and I would also say that I was recently a university student myself, and I know the way it feels to think that your university operates along lines that are not necessarily kosher, so to say, like they're getting their money from dodgy sources. And with particularly with regards to Saudi Arabia, it's no good being a university wanting to have freedom of speech and then, you know, accept bribes from Saudi Arabia and accept and become a platform where Saudi Arabia can potentially hold you to ransom so that you can channel its ideology. The reason we're discussing Saudi Arabia and the reason it has made international headlines is obviously because of the death of one individual, a journalist. Yet the millions of Yemeni civilians suffering from war arguably do not get the same media coverage nor the same level of uproar from foreign governments. Mahin, why do you think this is? There are a lot of different cases where one event will spark headlines and it won't be necessarily the most catastrophic event in terms of loss of life. It will be just very prominent in the public imagination. It will definitely capture the media. Obviously, this is a very significant person in the sense that they are a journalist. But I think we know that it, it, the tendency of news reporting generally is that massive catastrophes are sometimes subordinate to those individual tragedies. There was, I think it was Stalin, and it's a horrible thing that he said, but said that um, 
the death of one is a tragedy, but the death of thousands is a statistic. And sadly, the media coverage acts on that kind of impulse. I think the reason why the media is focused on on Hachukji more is because the effect of the Hachukji situation is unlike that of many of the killings or the dissidents that have occurred. Because Turkey has particularly inflated the situation because they have an ongoing rivalry with Saudi Arabia. And this rivalry grew out of the 2016 Turkish coup because the Saudi and UAE governments in particular supported uh, Gulen, who was a prominent Turkish opposition figure. And even though the coup failed, the Saudis then launched an economic attack on Turkey through devaluing the lira. So all in all, the Saudi government is strongly against Erdogan and because he's a supporter of the Muslim Brotherhood. If we were to ask anyone familiar with the Middle East and those in the Middle East, who do they think is the most prominent current Muslim leader? They'll tell you it's Erdogan. Because Saudi Arabia want to see themselves as the controller of the Islamic world. And obviously Erdogan is in their way. And Erdogan has seen the Hashukji killing as the perfect opportunity to retaliate against the al Sauds. So while governments have condemned the murder and some have stopped arms sales, no government has yet called for Mohammed bin Salman to step down. What does this situation mean for the future of the Saudi prince and the al Said ruling family? Are they untouchable? For now, MBS and the rest of the al Sauds are being propped up by the US and Israel. So Trump had some doubts in these uh, past few weeks over the recklessness of uh, the crown prince and actually said that he'd think about uh, supporting his removal. But I think Netanyahu has come to MBS's rescue and, and labeled him a strategic partner in the US-Israeli uh, front against uh, Iranian regional influence. So, and of course, the Saudis have already seen what happened in Iraq, Afghanistan and Syria. And uh, I think it's in their best interest to not be the next Western sandbox. So I'd say for the next few years to come, the Al Saud family will survive, but MBS may not see uh, a coronation day if Saudi Arabia, or should I say the Democratic Republic of Hejaz and Najd, even remains a monarchy. The future of the Al Saud family is pretty set in stone because I feel that countries will try and go about negotiations with Saudi Arabia by circumventing you know, the fact that there is this you know, this this ruling family that, that is seemingly untoppable, they will just kind of bypass it. Yeah, as long as uh, Saudi Arabia is serving the agenda of the West and the, them being a kingdom that helps support that, then they're going to remain a monarchy for decades to come, even if it mm-hmm. doesn't mean MBS is king or might be uh, uh, his uh, nephew Ahmed, but... I think Saudi Arabia will remain a monarchy for Mm. definitely a few years to come. Well, yeah, as long as there remains a trading relationship between Saudi Arabia and Western powers, I think that I'm in agreement with you there. I mean, they would take revolution to change it, and I don't think revolution is on the cards. Guys, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been a great debate. Here now with more news, debate and opinion. That's all for this week. You can continue the discussion by writing an article for Backbench. And if you enjoyed the podcast, don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. Thanks for listening.